Well, I have, um, I have so much packed in, as I do sometimes. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to bring it in, uh, in a way that makes sense, and just pray, just listen up today. The Lord's got something to say. I want to say some statements right off the bat, because sometimes I start preaching and I never get to the point I wanted to make to begin with. But that's okay, because if you follow us week to week, then the whole picture would come together, but not all of us are together all the time. So let me just make those points right now that the Lord is saying. You know, there's something in every one of your life, every one of your lives, and it's the setup. The setup. I want you to leave here saying, God set me up. I want you to shake your head as you walk out the door and say, God set me up. Who's been set up by God? Who now, as a believer, has seen God had a setup? (laughs) God laid a trap for you and caught you, didn't he? God's good. He's the best hunter. He's the best fisherman. (laughs) He knows how to catch his prey. And we're his prey. He loves us so much. He knows what you need. He knows what you've been through, and he knows how to get to your heart. Our hearts are hard, aren't they? Let's just be honest. We have so much stuff in this world that just puts weights on us. We carry so much stuff that we're never meant to carry. Who believes me? You were never meant to carry the baggage. You're never meant to carry the junk. None of that that we carry all the time was meant to be upon your shoulders. We need to give it to Jesus. He said, bring it to me, didn't he? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. He said, my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary. Who's weary? Who's who's carrying some things? Anybody in here carrying some things? Just lay it on that altar. Just lay it on the altar today. Just let it go. You got to let it go and you got to let your will go. You got to let your will go too. Even Jesus, the son of God, he is the son of God. And he said, not my will, your will be done. I would have thought his will would have been pretty well figured out by now. 33 years old, walking with his father as the son of God. But he didn't even trust his own will, even as Jesus, the son of God. He didn't want to go to the cross. I mean, he, want, he loved you, but he said, Lord, is there another way? Is there another way? I love these people and I'm willing And that's how he settled it. We know that because he did it. But is there another way? Many of us were asking the Lord, is there another way? Who has asked the Lord, is there another way? Is there a way to go to get to you, to get to the promise, to get to my victory without paying a price? That's what we're asking the Lord. I want the, the promise. I want the victory. I just don't want to pay the price. You have to pay the price. You have to. There is no other way. Who believes me? Amen? There is no other way. We have to pay the price. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Jesus paid the price for your sin. Jesus paid the price for that. You can't pay a price. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more. He loves you whether you choose him or don't choose him. He loves you whether you turn your back on him or you follow him. He loves you all the same. Loves all of his creation. And his word says that 
He doesn't want to see anyone perish, but all. He wants all. He wants all to come to him, all to come and find truth and peace in him. Amen. But after he paid the ultimate price, then he laid out a path for us. Who believes that? God laid a path out for you. God showed us the way. Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. Who remembers that? Who remembers that in the Gospels? Jesus went and found them. Who, who found Jesus or really Jesus found you, right? You found him when he found you. But then he asked you a question, come and follow me. He's not worried about your faults and your failures, as he showed us. He'll work with you. He'll work with your failures. He's not going to let those things hang in you forever. He's going to stay diligent right next to you to get them out of you. And they will if you stay close to him. Remember the disciples. Jesus is having an interesting conversation with, with the disciples and with the crowds around them in John chapter 6. And Jesus gets to the point where the people are offended. And many of them leave. John 6, 6, 6 right? The saddest verse in the whole Bible, many turned and left him. They turned and left him and followed him no more, it says. But then he turned to his own disciples and he said, are you going to leave also? He's asking us all that same question. Now, obviously our answer is what Peter's was. You're the son of God. Where would we go? Right? That's our answer. We're not going anywhere. But the point is, is that Jesus will stay with you, but he also tells us to stay with him. We have the choice to leave anytime we want. Anytime we get offended, it's our choice to leave, and we don't, right? We're going to let the offense, right, to get inside of us and do a job. It's not going to keep us from Christ. It's going to reveal that, wow, there's stuff in me that is opposite of God, and so I'm going to let that offense work, right, with his power, with the Holy Spirit shining lights and touching the areas in us that humanity and flesh and, and, and words Nothing in this world can touch. Only God can do, right? And then God does it in us. If we're faithful to him, he's faithful to us. If we're faithful to him, then we begin to walk with him as the disciples did. And then the stuff just keeps coming off. The Lord, it takes time. There was a process. Peter, three years later, took him three years to finally get rid of his will and just say, Lord, just say, Lord, okay, whatever you want, it's your way, Lord, forgive me, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, and I'm not going to deny you any longer. He denied him three times, but then he didn't deny him, right, anymore. History says that he didn't deny him when they put him on a cross like Christ. History says that he was so broken and so unworthy, he was so in love with Jesus and in what Jesus had done for him, history says that he said, I don't even want to be crucified. If you're going to crucify me, I can't even be, I'm not even worthy, even though I'm going to pay a price to die in the same way. So hang my cross upside down because I'm not worthy. That's what happens when you walk with Christ. Death. Death of your flesh. Your flesh dies. Your will dies. Your way dies. Who knows our way? Come on. It's a New York, <laughs> New York song. I'll have it my way. <laughs> nope. God has it his way. It's his way. So what God does is a setup. God sets us up. 
He sets us up. He, he creates a path to get us to the place where our will is dead. That's what God does. We are all born, unfortunately, because of, of Adam, not this Adam, of Adam's sin in a world filled with sin, in a world filled with flesh and our way and our will. So what God does is he redeems us. He covers, our, covers us with his blood and covers your sin. But then he creates a path that began the moment you were born, just like the devil gave you a path. Who knows the devil's path? Who has seen his path in your life? That's not hard to find. Who has seen the wrong turns that he trapped us in? And thank the Lord that, he, that the Lord redeemed us from those moments and from those times, right? He freed us from the grip of the enemy and took us out. But we have seen the devil. We've seen his path and plan for our life. And I thank you, Lord, that he has a plan for us from the moment we're born to get us to the place that Jesus got to. Where did Jesus get to? What was the end of his life on earth? It was his death. Jesus is not dead, is he? Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And in fact, that's, that word doesn't even make sense in the realm that he lives in. The word forever doesn't even make sense. There's no such thing. Because there is no time. Forever still says a time. It's so outside of us, so outside of our minds. God is so big, it's unbelievable. We just can't even fathom him. But Jesus doesn't want to spend eternity by himself, does he? He wants to spend the rest of eternity with you. He wants as many as will come to spend eternity with him. He put out an invitation. The Bible says, there's a parable, and it says there's an invitation, and many didn't want to come in. So then he put another invitation out and said, anyone who wants to come, anyone is welcome. Come to me. Anyone. Anyone is welcome. Just come. The Lord wants us to spend eternity with him, but there's only one way in, and that's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The, 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 not I'm one of the ways. I'm not a truth. I'm not a way. People today are saying there's many ways. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie to get us all messed up. It's a lie to get us confused. As humans, we're easily confused because we know that there's something supernatural. If you're in this church, you know there's something. You know that, that God is real. But the devil, what he does is if he can't, there's a crowd that just doesn't care, doesn't know. And then there's a the crowd that does. You've got a different strategy for them. But the strategy for the crowd that wants Christ and wants to serve him, wants to live for him, is he's not going to get us to not believe in God, not believe in Jesus. So what he'll try to do is bring as much confusion and deception and delusion into that story as possible. And who has seen that? Who has seen the devil even try to do it in your own life? And thank the Lord that he has rescued you from that. Many delusions and deceptions that tried. I could see them in my, I could see them now. When I look back, they are crystal clear. And there's books about it. 
There's theologies, there's teachers, there's hundreds of hours on YouTube about these particular deceptions that sound so good. The Bible says, NLT says, that the deceptions will be so good, the lie will be so good, it will sound like the truth. The Lord wants us in his will. He wants us to follow his way. There is no other way. Let's just settle that right now. Let's just settle that. Because the sooner we get over our way, the easier the path is. But the Lord will do what he has to do to get you, and ultimately, because it's not just about you, but it's about the world that he wants you to influence, he will do whatever it takes to get you to the place where you say, I surrender. And not just, Jesus, come into my heart. Not just a prayer, although I'm not discounting that prayer, but a true surrender that those words match your life. That when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, you mean it by the life you live. I can tell Dawn I love you every day. And if I lived in a way that didn't match those words, she would say, talk is cheap. Don't think the Bible's not the same. I'm not discounting the sinner's prayer, but it's not in the Bible. It's not. Let's just be realistic. It's not a bad thing. I prayed it, and if I were to talk to you at the end of the service, I'd pray it with you. But it's the lifestyle that matches the words out of your mouth. It's a change in your heart. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come in. I give you my life. So if sometime, if a year later, we look and there is a process, and there is grace, and I am not here to tell you how long. I can't, because the Word doesn't tell us. I don't know where grace begins and where grace ends. I don't know how many days you have and how many days you don't. All I know is that Jesus is the way, and Jesus said, set your eyes on me, follow me, I'll bring you into eternal life. So that's all we need to do, just keep our eyes on Him. If a year later, we are still in gross sin, right? Then what we should do is not feel condemned, but be convicted by the Holy Spirit and just say again, did I mean what I said? And maybe I didn't mean it. Maybe that was on the surface. And now, Lord, I want to say it from a deeper depth of, depth of my heart and make it for real. Maybe that will take you 10 years if you have that. I don't encourage that. I'm just saying I don't know the process. I don't know what it's going to take. But I would make that position with God as soon as possible because we're not guaranteed even the breath we're breathing right now. We're all in the setup. God's got us set up on purpose. Come on, I want you to say out loud, it's a good setup. It's a good setup. <laughs> a good setup. He's got me set up, but that's, Lord, you set me up anytime you want. He set me up once. <laughs> the Lord set me up. <laughs> sent me on a blind date. <laughs> it was a good date. Wow. Holy Spirit's here, isn't he? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just thank you. I just want to give you glory for a moment. Just thank you, God, that you are here. Lord, just speak to our hearts. Move in us, Lord. Change our hearts. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord.
It might seem like a setback, but God is setting up your backstory. It might seem like a setback, but God is setting up your backstory. Who knows everyone needs a backstory? When you arrive in the promise and in the place of victory in God, without the backstory to get you there, it doesn't have value. Right? Easy come, easy go. The reason that the Lord allows a price to be paid is so we respect it. That's just human nature. He knows your nature better than you know your nature. And He allows a strenuous part to us, right? I mean, anything in life, Paul says, you know, we run in, in normal life, we run races to win and we run and that's fine. And then there's a, there's a couple of verses that say this kind of idea, but basically let's run the race of God. And it's similar to the human race, but very, that really means nothing. In the same way that we could run humanly to win, we're running for God the same way, which is, I'm not just running just kind of like whatever, let's just see what happens, but I'm setting my eyes on the prize. If we do that in Him, if we do that in Him, then when we get to the finish line, we're not going to pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, well done. We're not going to be like, wow, I'm so happy that, you know, I was so strong and I did so good. By the time you get there, you're just happy to finish. Wow. Let me say that one more time. By the time you get to the finish line, the only thing you care about is finishing. You don't care about yourself at all. In fact, that's the setup. That's what happens. Jesus did it. And he is working in this church. He is working in you. So that by the time you get to the place of your victory in your life, you don't care about anything else. You don't care about anyone else. All you care about is pleasing God. You don't care about your name. You don't care about fame. You don't care about fortune. You don't care about any of that. Your will is crushed, it's done, it's finished. Anybody believe me in this place? The devil is highlighting your setbacks, but God is setting you up. We need to put our focus on him. I just want to talk for these few minutes about Joseph. It's such a big story. I wanted to say those statements first, but I'm going to get right into some scripture here. Story of Joseph, there's a lot going on. You could spend weeks and weeks as many things in the Bible on him. But very briefly, I just want to first read this verse, Psalm 105, verse 8. Come on, his word is good, isn't it? God's word is good. He's faithful, isn't he? God is faithful. And it says here in Psalm 105, verse 8, he always stands by his covenant. You hear that, church? God always stands by His covenant. The commitment He made to a thousand generations. God is faithful to us. And it says in verse 10, verse 9, He talks about the covenant being made with Abraham. In verse 10, it's confirmed to Jacob. In verse 11, I'll give you the land of Canaan. And then verse 12, they were few in number. 
In verse 13, they wandered around. In verse 14, yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf. Verse 15, do not touch my chosen people. Who knows that God's in control? God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. God's got his will. It says, do not touch my chosen people. Do not hurt my prophets. Verse 16, it says, he called for a famine on the land of Canaan. I want you to read that out loud. He, come on, say that again. He, who called, who, who created the famine? God created a famine. God called for a famine. What kind of God is this? What kind of God? That's right. He is a good God. He's good all the time. But our humanity doesn't understand. We look at famines and say, God. He called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. God was in control. God was in control. God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Because verse 17, it says, but then he sent someone. Everybody say out loud. He sent someone. You know, he sent someone ahead of you. Who is that? Jesus. The Lord sent Jesus ahead of you. God sent someone ahead of you. And at the same time, this, picture, this story of Joseph, and I just wanted to go this route because it really take, would take weeks, and I just will very briefly just kind of touch his story. But this scripture sums it up in just a few verses here because it says in verse 17, he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Joseph, someone went ahead of them. Jesus went ahead of us, and you are called to go ahead of someone else. Did you know that? Did you know that's the plan? That's the multiplication. Let's go back to ninth grade biology. Man and a woman create a baby. I know, crazy science. That baby grows up to be a man or a woman, meets another man or a woman, and they create their own baby. Multiplication, that's how the world was populated. God's kingdom is exactly the same. Jesus birthed us, and then we birthed someone else. Now, it wasn't your strength. You were part of it. Who was part of creating their children? You are part of the process, but it wasn't you. It was something supernatural beyond you. Okay, so you are a part of it. You're a facilitator. You're carrying the seed. You are carrying the seed within you. You are part of it, but God is going to bring it through you to bring the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That is the way. We need to break this thing that the devil has taught the church in this last generation, which is, I exist, I'm a Christian, I have the victory. See you later. Come on, who has seen that? Who has seen that? The Lord is tired of it. The Lord's about to do something brand new. Lord's about to change that. It's not too late. Say, it's not too late. Not too late. God's not finished. Not finished. He's not finished with us. Because there's a famine. There's a famine of God. And he's sending us ahead. He's sending us ahead. God's sending you ahead. We're going to get into that process in this next week. <laughs> I want you to say it out loud. I don't want to be sent ahead. <laughs> but I want to be sent ahead. <laughs> you do, but you don't. 
Who knows the story of Joseph? Come on. Amen. Amen. He, God's so good. He is good all the time. It says he sent someone ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters, and they placed his neck in an iron collar. Also, we see the picture of Christ. The Bible is, we have a term called types and shadows. Through the entire Bible, from cover to cover, you have the picture of Jesus from in the beginning, right? That's part of God's title. It's part of Christ's title, the first and the last. Right to Revelation, the end, whatever you want to call it. The apocalypse, the finish, the, the culmination. Jesus is from cover to cover, and the picture points to him. And also, because we were made in his image, and that image was stolen. Satan stole your image. He stole your purpose. And people kind of just existed for a while, and God created a way to still kind of meet with them, but really, there was this, this, still this separation for a long time. But finally, God made a way again, didn't he? God made a way through Jesus for you to be restored to the image of Christ. You are not supposed to look like you when Jesus gets finished with you. Did you know that? When Jesus gets finished working in you, you don't look like you anymore. And there's a, that's a whole, I mean, there's, a, there's sermons upon sermons about that. That's a per, part of the purpose of the body, refining of the body. We're all coming together, working on each other. We don't like that, but that's God did that on purpose. The part that you don't like is exactly the part God's using. That's a side sermon, but who knows what I'm talking about. The irritations with each other is what God's using to get the junk out of you. You think the problem's with them, the problem's with you. <laughs> wow. God's good though, isn't he? Who has seen that and then let it go and watch God work in you? not the other person you had your finger pointed at. You realize, wow, Lord, you're right. Wow, God, you're right. What a surprise. He's always right, isn't he? They bruised his feet with fetters and they placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. The New King James says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. In these next weeks, I just want to preach on these three things. God gives you the dream. Then God places you in a position to get you ready for the dream. Then God fulfills the dream. It's really these three stages. You cannot skip God. There's no, you remember Shoots and Ladders? Who remembers the game Shoots and Ladders? You can skip your way up and skip your way back down. The game has this one slide. You're almost to the very end. Who knows the slide I'm talking about? It takes you all the way back to the beginning. You don't want to skip ahead. You just want to do it God's way, one day at a time, one step at a time, one breath at a time. You skip ahead, most likely it's going to bring you back to the beginning. Who's failed a test before? Not just a God test. I'm talking normal, like pencil and paper test. There's this funny thing with the teacher. They don't usually let you get away with it. 
you will either get a grade or you get the chance to retake it. Study again, retake it. God's the same way. God's the same way. He has steps, right? The Bible says that the righteous man, who's righteous in here? Because Christ made you righteous. If your eyes are on him, you are righteous. Well, the Bible says that your steps are ordered by the Lord. So if they're ordered by him and I'm taking my own steps, then I'm out of his order. And the only thing left for me to do is just to get back into his order. He's not going to condemn me, but the Holy Spirit will convict you. We're going to say those words a lot this year. We're not going to condemn, but we're going to convict. Very similar. Condemnation looks from today to your past. Conviction looks from today to your future. Think about that. Condemnation blames you for where you're at and how you got there. Conviction says, forget yesterday. Now let's make tomorrow count. Amen? Let's get back on his path. We don't want to skip steps. Thank you, Lord. He gives you the dream. Then he places you in a position to get that dream out of you, to get it through you, and then finally he fulfills it. And I just want to look here in the, in the beginning here, Genesis, in the beginning of Joseph's story, and then we'll pick it up next week, but it says, this is the account of Jacob and his family, Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph was 17 years old, and he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Who knows this story? (laughs) It says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Who knows if you're already a tattletale and then daddy gives you special gifts over your brothers, it's probably not a good position in your life so far. (laughs) Who knows? God knows what he's doing though. What did we just read in Psalm 105? Who sent the famine? God did. Who knows Joseph's life, and we'll look into that more when we have more time, is about to take some turns that we don't look forward to but are necessary to our plan. That means that God knew what he was doing right here, right now. It means that God didn't tell Jacob to necessarily to favor him, but he knew he would. God's looking from outside of here. He knew who Joseph would be, and so does the devil, and so do his, his brothers are, are not liking what he's about to say, because it says, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more, right? They hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said, and he tells them. He says that they're going to bow down to him. In verse 8, his brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Verse 9, soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed low before me, and this time he told the dream to his father as well, to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Joseph had a dream, didn't he? 
God put that dream inside of his heart. Joseph wasn't mature on how he handled the dream. Who knows, most of the time when God tells you something, you should keep it quiet. (laughs) Who hasn't kept it quiet? The devil doesn't know exactly who you are and what you're going to do. He didn't know who Jesus was. He had an idea. He didn't know what the cross was about because the Bible tells us that very clearly. I don't have to assume that. The Bible says that if the rulers, the kingdoms of that time, right, the kingdom that was operating, Satan's kingdom and his principalities, if they had understood what the cross was, they wouldn't have let it happen. But he knew that there was something to this Jesus. This might be the son of God. And he tested him, tried to get Jesus to lower his I don't know if he knew he was or thought he was somebody special. We don't know exactly. The Bible just doesn't tell us. But tried to take him out and thought he won. He thought that's it. I won. Didn't realize the full plan, did he? Who knows that the devil doesn't know the full plan. And the devil will use our failures to put us in positions to bind us, to blockade us, to trap us. But God knew, come on, I need you to get this before we go today. God knew that you were immature. And he put the dream inside you anyway. God knew that you weren't even ready to handle it yet and didn't stop you from blabbing it out. (laughs) God knew what he was doing. It's all part of the plan, isn't it? I wish I could keep you guys for two hours and just go through this whole thing. But I'll just finish with this. It says, Joseph's brothers, they go out, you know, they go out and they shepherd the sheep and Joseph followed soon after. And in Genesis 37, verse 18, it says, when Joseph's brother saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. The devil's gonna try to kill you, try to take you out. The plan and purpose is in you, and you are on the path that God's got laid out for you. Devil's going to try to come, and he uses people in your path too. We don't war against flesh and blood. Why does the Bible tell us that? We don't war against flesh and blood to tell us it's not necessarily the person, but there are spirits and there are things behind that people allow, right? Especially right inside your own homes, right? We're the worst at that. Husbands and wives and close family, right? We feel like we have the right to tell each other whatever we want. We don't. We're letting the viper of Satan, venom spew out between us. And so the devil, though, is behind it, just trying to separate, to kill. He cut, he, the Bible says he came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life abundantly, right? So the devil came to try to take him out. And it says, come, let's kill him. And it says, we can tell our father, it says, let's throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dream. So they throw him down the well, then they decide, why well, just throw him down a well? We can actually take him back out and sell him as a slave. We'll make some money, and we don't have to kill him. So Joseph goes, it says in verse 28, chapter 37, when the Ishmaelites who were Midianite traders came by. Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 
and Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. The Bible tells us that God puts a plan and a purpose. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of you was fearfully, wonderfully made. I want you to raise your hand because I don't think you believe me today. I want you to say this out loud. I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb. Each of you. Each of you. I don't want to rush this. There's a lot to this. I want you just to soak in it, and then we can listen. you can listen to it on the podcast and remind it as the weeks go on. But I wanted to at least get to this point because this is where we're at. The devil's come to try to steal it. The Lord said to me something very clearly. Just because you dreamed a dream doesn't mean it was me. But just because it hasn't come to pass doesn't mean it wasn't. I'm not saying everything you think is God is God, but there are things in you that God put there in every single one of you. And it may have come by your own brothers and sisters that put you in a place of bondage that seemed like it took. I want you to say this out loud. It seemed like. It seemed like the enemy came and took your dream from you. I want you to just, I want you to soak in this I want the Lord to start to speak to you and come ready to hear. I want you to listen these next weeks. Again, I I could have rushed it and pushed it through, but I want you to leave with this. There is still a dream inside of you. God put it there. God put it there. In each and every one of you, there is something that was God-given, and you don't even understand it yet. That's why I read these particular verses. Joseph didn't even understand it. He just knew it was God. Who knows that God's got something in you, some sort of purpose, some sort of plan. What we're going to look at is that it doesn't matter how hard you try, you can't make it happen anyway. Who knows the story of Joseph? He can't make it happen. doesn't matter what you do, you will not be able to make it happen. But one thing you can do is keep your eyes on him. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. And that's your preview for next week. He just kept his eyes on the Lord through it all, and the Lord took him through. Let's just stand. Lord, we thank you and praise you, God. We thank you, Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, the things you spoke to us today. Lord, there's a lot of nuggets in there today. And I just pray, Lord, they would get down deep in our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you're calling each of us, Lord. The Lord is reigniting dreams in your hearts. Many of you here have said, I've been there, I've done that. And I've gave up on that and so on. And this is just the beginning to the Lord starting to reignite. The Lord's about to rescue many, many, many people. Many, not just this church, but many across this nation, across this world. The Lord's about to rescue many out of the pit, out of the prison. They were put there by accusation, put there. by. It wasn't even your fault. Many, it wasn't even your fault how you got put there, but I thank you, Lord, you're about to rescue, and the Lord's about to place people in positions, and as God does it, as God places people in positions in this kingdom, in this world, I thank you, Lord. You don't even want the position anyway. You're just glad to be out. You're glad to be out of the bondage. You just want to serve the Lord, and you just want to represent him. I thank you, God. 
I thank you, Lord, that you have used, Lord, the opposition. You have used, Lord, even things that our own brothers and sisters did against us, Lord, to get us to the place where we are totally and utterly surrendered to you. And I thank you, God, that's what you've done in this church. That's what this church is really all about. It's that place. And I thank you, God. We just give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. And I thank you, Lord, you're going to pull us out and place us, Lord. In Jesus' name, in places we could never, ever put ourselves. So we just set our eyes on you today and stay faithful. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.